The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. really, really good and in store for you. And um, there's two objectives that we want to accomplish tonight. Kristen, if you would kind of go over those. A couple of them are some questions we want to answer. And the first one is, what does God's design for marriage really look like? And I'm sure you've seen that on our social media posts. That's probably why you've signed up. But um, the second one is, what does it mean and how does it look to pursue marriage the way that God intended? And I know those seem those are heavy questions, but at the same time, sometimes we can look at it and be like, oh, I know what the design for God's marriage is. That's easy. That, that, I know that. But when you really dive in deep to it, there's so much information that we could talk and spend so much time on more than just tonight. But we're excited to do our best to answer those questions. Yeah, we want to answer those two questions. But then the other thing that we really want you guys to walk away from here, and here's something that's kind of been growing inside of us, and you even heard Pastor Josh talk about it a couple weeks ago. But our other hope is that when you walk out of here tonight, that you have an appreciation and a hunger to defend and stand up for marriages across the board. You know, as Christians, we're called to love the institution of marriage. And as Christians, we shouldn't be down on marriage at all. Uh, The world is pretty down on marriage. And some of the things that we're facing and some of the attacks that we see, like marriage has been under attack for a long time, and it's really coming under attack uh, in the world that we live in today. And so as Christians, what I hope you guys walk away from here tonight is going, man, God really spoke to us in this area, but man, I, I'm so excited that God's using us as a restraining force against what the enemy wants to do against marriage. And so I hope you guys understand from, from that perspective that that's what we're trying to communicate tonight and um, kind of position yourselves uh, to receive from that stance. So before we get in, let's, let's pray and just invite the Lord in. Lord, we love you so much. God, we're so grateful for you. And Lord, I'm grateful for every single marriage that's represented in this room. I'm grateful for the families that are represented, Lord, for the generations that are represented in here. And Father, we just pray right now, Lord, that as we commit time to you, Lord, Lord, as we take time to focus on what your word says about marriage, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. And that is that you would speak to each one of us individually. And Lord, I just pray against anything the enemy would want to do. Lord, I pray that any thought that would rise up at any point tonight, Lord, that we would take it captive. Lord, we would submit it to your word, that the loudest voice that we would hear is yours. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you have given us the gift of marriage. And Lord, what a gift it is. And so as we lean in and pursue you tonight, Lord, we're grateful that you're going to show up. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so one of the things that we always like to talk about, and we think it's a, something that's really important to talk about anytime we're talking about marriage or anytime we're talking about um, foundational things in marriage, is to really talk about what we consider the most important issue in marriage. And really, oftentimes, and I, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all experienced this before. I know her and I have experienced this several times. But a lot of times when we come into conflict or when we come into things in marriage, most of the time the issue is not really the issue. (laughs) That's the unique thing about, you know, sometimes the relationship that we have is sometimes it's like we can find ourselves getting upset about something. But if we really pull back the layers and we look at it and we go, okay, well, the issue is I'm not really pursuing the Lord that I need to, the way that I need to pursue the Lord. And so one of the things that we always say before we talk about anything is the absolute most important issue or the most important thing that you can do in your marriage 
is to pursue God on your individual relationship, both of you. And so Kristen's going to talk a little bit about that and how we believe that that has such an impactful way. And again, I know that this is like you're going, wow, that's pretty basic, but it is basic. And one of the things that we really like to challenge you, and it's the same challenge that we ask ourselves is, how are we doing in this area? So as we talk about it, I want you to think about that going, and how am I doing in this area as it relates to my own personal walk with the Lord? What I love is how our church is championing this, like through our um, Being Transformed journals and stuff throughout this year that we've started. I feel like that that has grown me deeper. It's grown him deeper in our walk with the Lord and something that we can come together whenever we are pursuing our walk with the Lord and talk about it. It gives us a connecting point where sometimes he'll study things and I'll study things and we can talk about it, but this just, it connects us in a deeper way. And so, um, one of the things we want you to understand, and you probably have heard it, some of you may have grown up in church, some of you may not, but to understand what your walk with God looks like personally, because a lot of times, um, we have found ourselves to where if I'm getting upset at him, like he said, the issue is not the issue. I'm upset at him, but it's something that I'm looking to him to fulfill in me that he can't do, but only God can do. And maybe that's because I haven't been spending time in the word, or maybe it's because I haven't sought him in prayer or prayed over a situation specific to me. Uh, maybe I've held on to unforgiveness or bitterness. And these are things that only the Lord can work out. I can't, he can't do it for me and I can't do it for him. But if I have the expectation of him to do that, then I've created him as a God in my life and I've put him above God in my life. So we have to, and I'm not a good God. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) (laughs) We have to keep each other um, in a place where we can remind ourselves that first and foremost, we are sons and daughters of the King. Like we have to view ourselves as that. And whenever we start to slip away from that, that's when something else starts to take that place. Maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your kids. Um, Something can take that place if we're not putting God where he needs to be in our life and seeking him and being able to view ourselves as a son and a daughter in him. Um, I love when it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I love it because I, we're the core of the father's heart. We have to view ourselves as that. And whenever we lose sight of that, we start to um, take on these false identities of who we're trying to be. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I know that's so important. And you know, the truth is, it's like, we are going to face stuff like Chris and I were talking about this and, and maybe you guys experienced this a little bit. Um, you know, seasons change. We've been married for 13 years and we're not saying that like issues aren't going to arise and stuff like that's not going to happen. But as seasons change, sometimes it can create, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conflict. Because like, as we get close to now parenting teenagers, there's stuff that I might see in her that we've never had a conversation with because it's based on her past and how she grew up or how she was talked to as a teenager. And then she sees it in me. And then we have this back and forth. And the problem that takes place is if my relationship with the Lord's not good and her relationship with the Lord is not where it needs to be at, then it creates a whole nother set of issues. And the truth is all the stuff that we talk about, whether it's um, very practical things or we get in the word, if this isn't right, all the other stuff that we talk about is still going to be really, really hard for us to pursue because this has to be right. This has to be right. And this is one of those things that we've got to keep on the forefront of our mind to make sure that we're pursuing God. And I think this, the truth is this, the best gift that you could give your spouse, the best daily gift that you could give your spouse, husbands and wives, is that you wake up in the morning, you spend time in the word, you spend time in communion with the Lord in prayer, and you pursue that relationship with him. 
that way you can minister to your spouse and you can do things out of a, you know, being full rather than coming from a place of, uh, you know, not having those needs met. And so that's very, very important. And so that's one of the things that we always want to, we always want to reiterate that at the top of anything we talk about in regards to marriage, because it is so important that we do that. So as we look at what God's design for marriage is, uh, one of the things that we wanted to look at is we wanted to look at kind of what the normal, uh, what, what people are saying is normal right now for marriage. And let me just tell you, normal uh, is not working in the world we live in. Wouldn't you guys agree to that? Like, it is, it is in bad, bad shape. And uh, it's been trending that direction for a while, but as you really start to pull back and look at some of the statistics, you can really see that, man, things are... And things aren't just happening outside of the church. Things are happening inside of the church where we're really starting to see some of this stuff come to light. And so Kristen really dug in and got some statistics. And I'll tell you this, here's the good news. God still sits on the throne, Jesus is still king, and he wants to redeem and can redeem any situation. He can redeem our city, he can redeem the numbers, he can reverse things. But I think it's important for us to look at this and just kind of get a grasp of an understanding because these are statistics that are in the church, that are outside of the church, that encompass the United States. And so if you would, let's kind of share some of those because I think it's important. The U.S. is the fourth highest divorce rate, fourth, I'm sorry, fourth country with the highest divorce rate. Oklahoma, where do you think we sit in the U.S. as far as ranking? We're in the top five states of the highest divorce rate. Um, Which is kind of crazy to think about, right? Like when you look at some of the other states, yeah. especially with the fact that when you would say, I don't know what percentage of people in Oklahoma would say that they go to church, but I would say a lot of them are pretty regular attenders yeah. or would, would claim Christianity to be there. I mean, it's nuts. Like it's one surprised. out of, it's 50, I think it's, I think Oklahoma is right there just about where the average, where it's mm -hmm. right at 50% of all marriages in Oklahoma in a divorce. I thought this was unique. Um, I pulled this information it was from 2019 but just listen to the um, statistics on this it says every 42 seconds there's one divorce in america that equates to 86 divorces per hour 2046 divorces per day 14,364 divorces per week and about 80 or eight eight hundred thousand per year do we are we okay with that no <laughs> we want to change that um yeah, what's amazing is, like, if you look at this, I think what were you saying? Every, so every 16, mar or every 16 seconds, someone gets married in the U.S., so it's about 2 million marriages a year yeah. with a million divorces a year. But what's, what's crazy is when you kind of wind those numbers down with how many people get a divorce every single year, uh, she read something that said, on average, it takes the normal couple two minutes to say their wedding vows. In that two minutes that a couple says their wedding vows, three marriages end in divorce. And that's the average. And that's what we're seeing uh, facing. This was interesting to me. Um, this just kind of show you where we've come. 1960. Um, we're going to get some participation here. 1960, do you think that the percentage of Americans that were married was above or below 70%? Anybody? Above, okay, above is correct. Uh, in the majority of the first part of the 20th century, 82% uh, of the adults in the, United, or in the United States were married, which 1960, here's, listen to this, this is crazy. 1960, 80% of Americans married, that equated for 40.2 million marriages, so a lot of marriages. Today, 
in the United States. And here's, here's another unique thing to think about. This is, this is census data. So this, isn't, this, is, this is also encompassing non-heterosexual marriages that certain states recognize as marriages. So today, 49% of adults in the country are married, which makes for 62 million. So at 49%, there's 62 million, and in 1960, at 80%, there was 40 million. It tells us two things. There's more adults today that are alive than ever before in human history, but there's also more adults today that aren't married, that are cohabitating, that have been divorced, that you got to think about that from a standpoint of there are kids that are going back and forth from one house to another, living in families. Maybe you came from a broken family or something like that. Like these, this is the real problem that's facing the world that we live in today, primarily because people have decided, you know what, we're going to do this apart from what God's vision is for marriage. And the truth of it is, is it just doesn't work. And what's unique about it is I think that as we've continued to see this take place, you even see it in, like I said, I know we've got close friends who um, love the Lord. I believe they love the Lord. And they've gone to church and they've grown up in church their whole life. But you start to see some passive attitude take place in regards to marriage. Like, you know what, it's okay. They, they've both been divorced before. It's fine if they live together and try this out because, you know, we would hate for it to end a divorce again. But as you look at, like, even cohabitating, there's some really unique statistics on that. Yeah, when I was looking at it, I was surprised because it says the vast majority of Americans, I wasn't surprised by this, but the vast majority of Americans think it's acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together. Most Americans, 69%, say that um, cohabitation is acceptable even if the couple doesn't plan to get married. 16% say it's acceptable only if the couple plans to get married. And only 14% say it's never acceptable to cohabitate. I, I was kind of shocked by the 14%. Um, but when you read a little bit more, it tells you that basically Americans are all in for cohabitation. Let's cohabitate. Let's learn. Let's pay off some debt. Um, I've got a job. I got a career. They're hiring me. I got to move. Come with me. Come live with me. Come do this. And then you just kind of see a spiral of events happen. Um, one of the statistics says that roughly half Americans, 48%, say that compared with couples who don't live together before marriage, Couples who do live together first have a better chance of having a successful marriage. So, so this is what we're thinking. We're thinking we're going to have a successful marriage because we're cohabitating before. But when you look down um, at another statistic, 60% of cohabitating couples will eventually marry. Okay. But their divorce, the higher, it's 40% chance that you're going to get divorced if you cohabitate. 40% chance higher. If you cohabitate so before. you actually have a 40% chance higher of getting divorced. Now listen, I know most of you guys in here are married, so you're sitting here and saying, great, we're already married. The purpose of this is to just show, this is, this is the direction the world's headed in. Yeah. And again, this is the part of it where that second thing that we really hope that you guys walk out of here with is a hunger and understanding to go, man, we can, we can be an example in a world that just quite honestly doesn't know how to do this the right way. And so the right way to do it is to mirror it the way that God intended for marriage to be done. Yeah. So I'll tell you this. If you're taking notes, um, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to get your phone out and write this down. So one way or the other, I want you guys to write some of this stuff down because I believe this is really good. So what does God's design for marriage look like? And here's the thing that we, we understand is when we do things according to God's design, whether it's marriage, finances, uh, stuff related to our health, church, whatever it is, when we, when we do things according to God's design, we have a 100% success 
uh, or a chance of success in that area. Mm -hmm. So like understand, this is not a 50-50, hopefully you make it. When yeah. you do it according to what the way God says, you've got a 100% chance that you're gonna make it. As long as you keep that in the forefront of your mind and maintain this. And so marriage, first and foremost, is the most important institution on the face of the earth. Everything God does, everything God builds, he builds through marriage, and we're gonna look at that. It's more important than the government. I'm gonna tell you, marriage is far more important than the institution of government. We're spending so much money as a government on all the problems that quite honestly broken families have created. It's more important than the financial institution. It's even more important to the church because the truth of it is this. Us as a church, if we don't have strong marriages, this church ain't going nowhere. We can't build a church on, on, on broken families. We can't build a church on broken marriages. So we need to make sure that we're championing that and doing that. And the number one reason why we're married the number one reason why God brought you all together is to glorify God. First and foremost, the number one reason why you're married is to glorify God. It's not so that we can have our needs met. It's not so that we can, um, you know, have the pleasures of what marriage offers. It's to glorify God. Look at what it says in Colossians 1.16. It says, for by him, or I'm sorry, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So the institution of marriage was absolutely created for God first and foremost. That's our role. And the reason why it's so important that we keep that at the forefront of our mind, and it's why you see some of the stuff that's taken place, is because the moment that we lose sight of what God's plan for marriage is, we'll start to justify anything. Because really what ends up happening is we sit back and we go, okay, well, marriage is for my needs. And it's so that I can, you know, I can, I can get what I need to get. And what we end up happening, see happening is, well, I'm a pretty selfish person in and of myself in the flesh. And so if that's the only thing that I focus on, then we can begin to justify many different things and it'll lead to destruction. It'll lead to damage. And again, we certainly see that take place. And so the important thing is to look back to the very beginning to see, okay, what's God's design for marriage? And you don't have to go very far. It's at the 26th verse in the first chapter of the Bible. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And understand this, if you've studied out Genesis at all, you can spend a lot of time in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is packed full of so much in there. And really these three verses um, are packed full of some stuff. We're going to unpack it a little bit here so that we can kind of work through it. But I'm going to read, this is Genesis 1. 26 through 28, and this is out of the New King James Version. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you or your uh, app, I encourage you to pull it up. It says, then God said, let us, I want you to circle let us if you've got your Bible with you, make man in our image, circle our image according to our likeness, circle or underline our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image, circle image, in the image, circle image again, you can see here what we're going, what we're doing, of God he created, male and female he created them, then God blessed them. So 28 says, then God blessed them, which that's talking about, this is where we see the union of marriage. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's a, there's a lot that we can unpack here. And the first thing that I want you to understand here is when it's talking about, and we're going we're gonna to look at this um, with a, an example here that we're going to show you in a minute. But 
One of the things you got to understand when Genesis 1 is kind of an overview of creation. Genesis 2 gets into the more specifics of Adam and Eve and, and how they were created. But what God is saying here is, let's make man in our image. And when he says man, again, he's talking about mankind, male and female. And so what I want to do is we're going to get some more volunteers. David and Kaylee, if you guys would come up here. Come on I want to have up. you guys stand over here. And let's see here, Tyler, Casey, and Brandon, why don't you come on up here? Okay, no, David and Kaylee, you guys get over here. Huh? Yeah, on the stage. Get on the stage. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Come on. <laughs> All right, here. So, no, you're on this side. Okay, so over here, like in Genesis 1, when it says, then God said, the, the name for God that's used in Genesis 1 is Elohim, which is the plural uh, description of God, which means God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we've got, now again, we're just using them as an example, okay? But let's just, this is the Trinity. So this is God, okay? <laughs> Far from it, but this is God for this, okay? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is what we've got. And then what does he say? He says, let us make mankind in our own image. So Kaylee, if you could stand over here. And David, I'll have you stand over here now. Let's have some space between you. Okay? Separate a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, six feet apart. So here's the question. God makes Adam. Okay? So God makes Adam. What does Genesis 2.18 tell us? It says that God looked at everything that he created. And what did he do? He looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Right? Because let me ask you this question. Does this look like that. Okay, you guys can answer me on this, okay? Does this, look, it's not a trick question. Does it look like that? Kent, does it look like that? No, you're right. Okay, so what happens? He creates Eve. Eve comes onto the scene. All right, you guys, come on. You guys can kiss if you want to kiss. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. Does this look like this? No. You're probably going, okay, so how does this example work, right? So he creates Adam and Eve. What? What are you doing? Here's what I want you to think about, okay? But what if you had a Christ-like husband, slide over here, a Holy Spirit-like wife, and God in the middle? Does this look like this? The answer is yes, it does. So when you read Genesis 1, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. Give him a hand. Yeah, you got no gift card for you guys. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to probably stand up if you guys are okay. I don't like sitting down in this seat. So what do we see here? Like, you know, the cool thing too is when it describes like their marriage, Adam and Eve's marriage in um, Genesis 2. One of the things that it describes is the same, use, the same word used for the unity that it describes their marriage is the same word that it uses to describe God in Deuteronomy. So you see the parallels here. Elohim, God says, let us make man in our image. He makes man in his image. Now, here's the unique thing about it. And here's, this, this goes back to helping us understand like why Satan hates our marriage so much and why this is God's design for our marriage. Adam was on the earth for quite a while. I, I don't know how long Adam was on the earth before Eve came on, on the scene. I know when we read it, it's like, oh, that was pretty quick. But Adam had to name all the animals. I don't know how many species of animals there are, and I don't know how long that took, but chances are, I mean, it probably took some time, right? Yeah. All throughout scripture, we don't have any recording of Satan attacking Adam when he's by himself. We, have, we don't see it. You don't see it at all. But the moment that Eve comes onto the scene, 
and that a marriage takes place, what happens? The enemy looks at that over there and goes, that looks like the image of God. And that is what's so, you know, potentially deadly to my kingdom. And that's why you see the enemy immediately start to attack marriage. That's the reason why sometimes like when we, we go through things and you're like, well, when we get married, it'll be a lot easier. No, it won't. <laughs> and sometimes we get the question that's asked us is like, how come when we get married as Christians, it's harder? Or how come, you know, we, we're, we're, we feel like we're doing everything that we need to do, but it's still hard. Well, the reason why it's still hard is because now the enemy, when he looks at you, he doesn't see, he doesn't see David. He doesn't see Kaylee. When the enemy looks at them, he sees God. And what I, what I want you to write down is this, is that when God's purpose and design for marriage is this, I love this. It's that we're to replicate God's nature and image on earth. That's the reason why I had you circle all those. The, the, the position that we're supposed to take in marriage, the design that it's supposed to have, if we're doing this according to what God's word says, is that we replicate his image and we multiply his image throughout the earth. And that's the reason why when people look at a godly marriage, man, they see, man, this is great. What do you guys have? It's one of the things that's so awesome when you're operating in this, people can look at it and go, man, that's incredible. And so one of the things that was also really cool as we were studying this out, uh, Kristen loves words, uh, like loves words, uh, and loves pictures and visuals. <laughs> and she's been studying Hebrew, and Hebrew's pretty cool. Um, and it's not just cool to get tattooed on your arm, but it's pretty cool to study as well. And, um, but Hebrew's pretty cool. So she studied out like the Hebrew word pictures for man. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm not gonna, t I'm not gonna steal your thunder. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I want to say, though, is that when, when we're enemies, like when we're fighting our spouse or we view them as the enemy, uh, God's image will never be revealed. So I want you to remember that. Like, we're image bearers, just like what he explained. And so it was really cool because he came to me with this, um, well. This example. Yes, this example. And then I was like, ooh, I have an example, too. So mine is a um, picture, Hebrew words. I was going to use a whiteboard, but they stole it in another class. So you get a poster board. Hopefully you can see it. But, okay. So this is a relationship in Hebrew. So this right here, they look like symbols or word pictures, but each one of these has a specific meaning behind it. I can't go into all of it, but the gist of it is this. This word right here says, this is man or husband. And this word right here is a woman or a wife. Do you see similarities? Yeah, there's some similarities, but there's also, oh, I don't have my marker. Um, there's also difference. This right here, these symbols, whenever you put them together, they form a word. Any idea of what you think the word is? God. It spells, it's, it says God in Hebrew. And so what was so cool, <laughs> what was so cool whenever they went through this and I, they were explaining it and teaching it, I was like, this is such a great image because we have so much similarities, but we also have uniqueness to us and the differences. But what God can do with the differences is whenever this is put together, it's God's image. And whenever we have our differences, when they're united, it creates God's name. But also, it also our, uh, his presence is with us whenever we put this together. And then, that's right, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, I'm making sure I'm making sense. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, there's still another part. So you take this out. You take God out of your marriage. You take God out of the institution of marriage. You still have the same thing, right? We're equals at this point, I feel like. So uh, 
this means like sharp tooth, and I can't remember what this means, but basically this spells another word. Any idea of what this would spell? There's no way they're going to get this. It means fire, fire. So fire, fire. Whenever you hear something twice in Hebrew repeated, it is like an absolute, like, it would mean destruction basically at this point. So you remove God out of marriage all the way back to the Hebrew things. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like this is, you remove God out of the institution of marriage and what you have, you see what we have in the world, destruction, divorce, heartbreak, um, all kinds of things. Yeah. Such a cool know. word picture there. I hope you like that. I hope it was like, aspiring to you because it was me. Oh, you knocked my drink over. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Like even like you, <laughs> sorry, not the drink. She's got it. But when you look at it, you're going, man, that is, that is so cool. Like both of those pictures, I think, communicate. Obviously, God doesn't make mistakes, okay? And there's purpose behind it. And the truth of it is this. I said this earlier, but everything that God wants to do is built on the foundation of marriage. Um, you see it all throughout scripture. The Bible opens with a marriage. The Bible ends with a marriage. But also what's unique about this is everything in society that's done well is built on good, healthy marriages. Yeah. And so you can sit here and I think that, you know, we can hear that from a Christian's perspective and be like, yeah, that makes sense. But I actually did some studying last night and I read this article by this guy. So I, I don't know anything about psychology or sociology, or any of that stuff. It is, I mean, just over my head. But there's this guy who was this German sociologist named Carl Zimmerman, and he went to Harvard. So I think he's a pretty smart dude. Uh, but he, in 1947, wrote this article. And one of the things that he was known for at Harvard was to really study out different kingdoms, different nations, and the rise and fall of those, you know, what made them great, whether it was the Egyptians, uh, the Romans, even Babylon. He studied them out. And what he found in every single one of them, even up to present day, is at the height of when they were rising and when they were doing well, it was because they had a model of a conservative marriage or traditional marriage at the center of their society. Now, again, this is, this is not necessarily related to Christianity. This is just that the model was a mom and dad at home, raising kids, society began to go up. But one of the things that he also noticed is when society began to spiral out of control and those nations and those empires began to fall, uh, they had seven different things that took place and it was because they, they let those things go by the wayside. What he called it, or what, when you look at it, he said that it's the seven signs of, of an atomistic state, which is the downfall of the state. And again, he wrote this in 1947 and he wrote this as almost a warning and... Um, it was published in the Harvard Journal, and this is what I was reading last night. So there's seven signs that we see uh, when this begins to unravel and take place. Number one is this. Marriage loses its sacredness and is frequently broken by divorce. Do we see that in society today? Right? We can check the box there. Number two is the traditional meaning of marriage is lost. We certainly see that. Number three is the feminist movement abounds and women lose their inclination for childbearing. It's not so much in this, when I was studying this out, it's not so much that... We've seen, uh, you know, people championing women's rights and, and getting change into society, which has been great. What we see here is it's saying that the rise of feminism that takes place as a result of, their, um, of men being passive in leaving and divorcing, they lose their inclination to, to, to bear children because there's a security that marriage provides 
that, that women need to have and that men need to provide from a childbearing standpoint. And what it's saying is, is that there's a rise of that because of the rapid and the, uh, the large amount of divorces that are taking place. Number four is this, that there's an increased public disrespect of parents. Number five is an increase in juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. You know, as I thought about those two things, you're sitting here and you're going, well, what leads to those things? Well, you know, at some point, our kids get to an age where they can start to understand that, you know what, mom and dad are just, they're selfish. And I don't, unfortunately, you look at some of the scenarios and some of the things that are played out with children, and they don't have much to respect. And so you start to see this, this pushing off and going, I'm not going to respect mom and dad. Now, again, that doesn't make it right, and we're not justifying that at all, but that's part of why you see some of this stuff take place. Number six is the hostility of pseudo-intellectuals to the family soon spreads to the common people, sealing the doom for society. So pseudo-intellectuals is like people that think they're smart, but they're really dumb. That's what pseudo-intellectual means. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, this is not the case for, for most people, uh, or if, if you're an Ivy League person in this room, I, 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 this is not to offend you, but most of the time, what he's saying is, it's these big think tank people that like think about things and they go, yeah, outside, like you don't need to do this according to God's way. Like, let's think about this and get real, you know, formulatic with it and figure out how we need to do this. What it's saying is, is that used to be the norm where people in these think tanks or like big universities would be the ones that go, yeah, marriage may not be great. That's gotten down to the common people. I was actually watching, um, oh, what was it? We were, I can't remember. I was watching a, a video um, with my daughter on YouTube and we were sitting on the, the couch and there was a kayak commercial. Not like kayak commercial, but kayak like the hotel chain or the, the company that's like Expedia. And it shoots to where a guy's sitting in a hot tub and he's like, man, I'm so glad we were able to go on this honeymoon. And then it shoots to a, another uh, picture of the wife sitting in the hot tub and she's like, yeah, this is great. We found such a good deal on kayak. And you couldn't see them both sitting together. It was as the camera changed, it was his face and then it was her face and then it pans out and she's sitting next to another guy and he says, I sure just wish it was before the divorce. And you're like going, man, like as a society, we've gotten to a point where we just can't have a commercial that's about, hey, here's where you can find better hotel rates for your honeymoon. It's you better do it before your marriage ends in divorce so that you can do the honeymoon. And I just thought to myself, like, man, this is like, wow, this is this is really, really sad that this is this is where we're at, that that's the kind of humor or that's the kind of um, pull, if you will, that the advertising is using uh, to make light of something that we shouldn't be making light of. And then number seven is this, there's an increased acceptance of adultery and sexual perversion. Uh, and we certainly see that in the world that we live in today. Um, we haven't even gotten into some of that stuff, but I mean, you certainly see that uh, in the world that we live in today. And so as you look at this stuff, um, I think sometimes you have a tendency and, and I hope this is not what it's doing, but you can look at this some stuff and be a little bit discouraged. But the encouraging thing that I want to give you guys again and reiterate is when we do this according to God's way, like you should be encouraged because I'm telling you, it's not just that the world is moving in this direction because they want to. I believe they're moving in this direction because they don't know any other way. And so the benefit is, is when we, when we go back to God's original design and we walk this out, Man, the world looks at it and goes, I want that. Because nobody, regardless of if you're a believer or not, is standing at the altar going, yeah, in three years, this thing's going to be over and we're going to have to split everything up and, and we're going to have to go through this. Like nobody stands at the altar wanting that. 
And so I think it's really just because it's a lack of knowledge. And so such a cool thing that we as believers, modeling this out and mirroring the image of God, when we do this according to God's word and what God's, God's commanded us to do for, for marriage, you really get to see this play out. And I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're going to be part of the solution. You're going to be part of the change. And when we understand this, it actually makes marriage a lot easier. You know, marriage, again, marriage takes work. And it's not something that's just going to be easy the moment that we get married. But um, we went back and forth with that question, like, is marriage super hard? Because we don't want the stigma of like marriage is hard and dreadful and we don't want to do this. Like marriage is supposed to be fun. God created it to be fun. He created it for us to bear the image of him. And he's not just a fuddy dud, like, right? He's, right. He wants us to enjoy right. it. Yeah. So Sorry. you can keep going. I like the direction that was heading. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, so marriage, marriage absolutely can be tough when we're not doing it God's way. But when we understand this stuff, we talked about this, um, and we'll talk about it again a little bit more in detail, but, uh, we had a season in our life where this was not operating. We were not operating our marriage the way that God designed for it to be. And it felt like every little thing that Kristen was doing was because she was mad at me and she just didn't love me anymore or didn't, certainly didn't like me. Maybe she still loved me. Um, but part of that was my mindset. And I think one of the things that we have to understand when we get these principles, we recognize. When we recognize that we look like God and the enemy hates it, then when we start to face circumstances, Part of the benefit of knowing this is we can recognize, you know what, this is not my wife that's coming against me. Like, now again, don't use this as an excuse like, hey, you can't be mad at me. Like my wife is, man, it's really the enemy is coming against me because I didn't take the trash out and she got so mad at me. No, you didn't take the trash out. That's why she's mad at you. I'm talking about like just the, the when you start to feel tension, when you start to feel those things where it's like, man, how do we get through this? It helps us recognize and go, you know what? like. The, the Bible says this in Ephesians, like the, uh, the weapons that we face, like I'm, this is not necessarily Christian. Like there's a spiritual force at work, just kind of like what we went through when we were putting this stuff together. And so when we recognize that, what it allows us to do is rather than be enemies, it allows for us to be allies and, and really approach that and face that together, which really points to from a practical standpoint for us, one of the things we were thinking is like, okay, so when we know how to do this or when we know what God's design for marriage is, What's some practical things that we can do? And what's a practical way for this to walk through? And really, when you go back to Genesis 1 and look at it from the design, one of the things we were really thinking and really pulled from it uh, is it's so important that we be unified together. So if you, you want to share some of that? Yeah, yeah. We're, okay. we're there. So in unity, when we're not unified, we have two separate visions of what we want our marriage to look like and how we're living. And there was plenty of things that we had two separate vision on, uh, visions on early on in marriage because we didn't know. Like both of our parents are still married. Both of them have great marriages. But there were some things that as we got married, we realized like, oh, me specifically, like I don't know how to forgive you. Like what? I don't, I'm going to forgive you for doing that? Or me being the one that made a mistake or or me that made a mistake. I had to realize that I'm the one that had to like say, Hey, you know what? I, I, I'm sorry. Me, me apologize, not him necessarily. Um, but one thing I realized was that there was a lot of times I never saw that modeled. And so I had to, as I got older, realize like, Oh, maybe I did make a mistake. I, I, I do need to apologize. And, but I, I realized that growing up, I never saw that model. Um, so we couldn't be unified in some areas because there were some things that I still had to work through and grow in. And, and we still will continue to do that as we get older. We don't know it all. Um, sometimes we think we do, but we don't. Um, but unity. 
the things that happen when we're not unified is this. There's confusion. Think about your marriages as we talk through this too. There's confusion, there's tension, imbalance, and sometimes these things, if gone long enough, can lead to violence. Those are the antonyms for not being unified. When you are unified, there's harmony, there's symmetry, and there's coordination. So you guys are functioning together, it's balanced, like it's not a struggle, it shouldn't be hard. So when we're in unity, those are the things we should be seeing, we should be in harmony. Yeah, we're gonna have things that we work through, there's gonna be illnesses or sicknesses and things, but we've seen two marriages that have gone through some really hard physical things, um, like wheelchair, paralyzed from here down, and some of the best marriages that we've ever seen displayed, but it's a self unselfish love for one another. Um, but there's some areas that we discussed that we talked about that it was like highlighted points that we call them hot buttons that where specific topics where you may not be unified or there's some expectations that you may have um, that, that I have had before that he doesn't know about or vice versa. So we're going to go through some of these and talk about them and give you some examples and some practical ways of how maybe they don't have to be hot buttons and you can uh, work through that. Yeah, and the other thing in regards to unity I think that's so cool and it's one of the great gifts that marriage brings. Um, and I meant to say this earlier, but before we get into this, I want to say this. is like, I am such a better version of myself with Kristen in the picture than I am by myself. <laughs> like, it, we, we had a staff meeting yesterday, and that's one of the things I was talking about. Uh, yesterday was her birthday, and so we were highlighting some things about Kristen. It's great. The truth is that before Kristen, I mean, there was a lot of stuff in my life that was messed up. And it was her highlighting and me seeing Jesus and the Lord in her that really motivated me to want to shift some things and change. And I think the same has been true. Like, uh, I, I would hope that there's been some things that I've pulled that's good out of you. Uh, don't be so quick to talk about those things. But, uh, <laughs> but the truth is, is that we're better. Like, we really are. We're a better version of ourselves. I, I read this statistic, um, and this is crazy, men, when we think about this. But married men, like... They have a 20, like their lifespan is 20 years longer than that of unmarried men. Isn't that crazy? It's probably because she's like, hey, put the brownie down. Like, like go, go get on the Peloton. And, you know, there's no, don't eat ice cream after seven o'clock at night. Okay. Sometimes he still doesn't listen when I say these things, but it's okay. There's, yeah, it's okay. There's, He's still here. there's <laughs> grace. Uh, so, but the truth is, is like, that's one of the cool things that marriages does. And that's the truth. And when we're unified, you really start to see this thing come, this stuff come, come, uh, to life. And again, the truth is, is when we're not unified, we start to see, you know, two separate visions. Uh, and then again, it goes back to like the picture where we see fire. So these are six areas. Now the six areas that we looked at and, um, is we kind of, this is going to be the section that we kind of wrap up on, but I want you to write these six areas down. Uh, and I know I've said to write a couple things down, but I'm serious about this stuff. These are six areas that I want you to write down because even as we were going through this, like you can look at these six areas and I think these are the six areas that kind of encompass a lot of the different things that we deal with. And if we're not unified in these areas, I at least we've seen, again, in our own marriage and in other people that we've talked with, these are the areas where you see the most tension or the most potential for um, significant concern to take place. So the first one is in the area of finances. In finances. Remember the words. Do what? Remember the words. I, confusion, tension, disunity, imbalance. Any of those highlighted words to you as we're, I'm a words person, like you said, so think about that. But financial, yes. Yeah, and so one of the ways that we start to see 
that the world is not unified or, and again, I, I, I want to be careful with how I say that. One of the ways that we see that's a growing trend, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in young married couples, is, hey, you take care of the rent and I'll take care of the phone bill, the car bill, and the electric bill. Now, the concern that I've always had with that is this, is that you're still, you're not coming together. Like you need, my, my question to you is, are, are your accounts shared accounts? And I'm not saying that everything's gotta be under one account. I understand the need sometimes for separate accounts. But do, as a spouse, do you have access to the other account that the other person doesn't have? And this is an area where we see a lot of disunity because it leads to the potential. I mean, the, the truth is anything that's hidden from your spouse is an opportunity for an open door sin. Anything. Anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is a big one yeah. because oftentimes we need financial resources to do things. And if we've got financial resources and I've got resources that she doesn't know about and I find myself in a weakened state or something like that, who knows what those resources could be used for? Maybe there's a hidden gambling problem or a, yeah. a hidden drinking problem. Or, or something may happen to where you may lose your job. Then what happens at that point? You've banked on her paying all these bills and then she loses a job and then what happens? And so, yeah, so one of the things we always encourage is have a joint account, have a joint account. And if there's a need for other accounts, whether it's business or something like that, make sure your spouse has access to the other passwords. These, again, these are things that seem super basic, but these are also the things that I'm telling you, if we're not, if we're not having alignment or unity in this area, we cannot walk out what God's purpose for marriage is. Mm -hmm. So these are the practical things to focus on. And financial goals, tithing, a lot of people aren't unified in tithing and giving. Somebody wants to give, that was us. I wanted to tithe. He didn't want to tithe. So that was a battle we had to face early on in our marriage. And God I got broke so mad that. at her one time. <laughs> I, I was like, hey, where's this money going? She's like, well, I gave it to the church. And I was like, well, they don't need any more of our money. I didn't understand the concept of tithing first. But we, <laughs> I'll tell you, we, I was like, you can't do that anymore. You're not writing another check to the church. Well, we had debt and other things. So he's like, we got to pay this off. We can't pay the church. Like we can't pay, we don't, we can't afford to pay the tithe basically is what he was saying. But we weren't unified in that. Yeah. And thank God that she, uh, you know, continued to pursue that and um, steward that well. Number two is this careers. This one's really important. Um, and here's where I think that we've got to be unified in our careers. My, the question that we have to ask ourselves, it's not so much related to our career, but What's the purpose for your marriage? And here's the reason why I ask that question. Because if you don't have purpose in your marriage, specifically speaking, if Kristen and I don't have purpose assigned to our marriage and what we feel like God wants us to do, then I'm gonna get my purpose in the career that I'm pursuing and she's gonna get her purpose in the career that she's pursuing. Yeah. And this is something that you see a lot of. And what can end up happening is there could be an opportunity for me to get a promotion that requires more time away from home. Maybe it requires us to move and go to a different city. But yet, if we're not on the same page with what our purpose is, I could come back home and say, you're not gonna believe this, we got this great opportunity to move to Colorado, we're going, and she's like, no, I love the job that I have here, and I don't wanna leave. And oftentimes, what we find, or what we see takes place, is when there's not unity in this area of our life, that we're making compromises, and you sit here and you, I, Here's the, here's the truth. I, I'm not a big fan of the statement that like marriage is all about compromise because I believe that when we come together and pray about it, the Holy Spirit unifies us yeah. and that we're not always having to make all these big compromises. And so I know this, that when we come together and we pray about those decisions, I'm not going to be moving in a direction that the Holy Spirit is, is not giving her peace about. And the hard part is, is when we don't do that, I'm now going to resent her if she doesn't want to go. If she's like, no, we're staying here because my family's here, our church is here, we're not leaving. And 
if that's the case and we're not unified in this area, then man, I'm going to be like, if, if let's say for instance, things get terrible at work here or I end up losing my job here. If you're not careful, that's where resentment and unforgiveness builds up because of disunity in this area. So it's so important that you get vision and purpose for your marriage so that in this specific area, you're walking at the same beat. You're, you're going to the same cadence. Uh, number three is core convictions. This is really important. Uh, if you don't have children yet, uh, this, this one's going to really come into play, I think, when you have children. And here's the reason why I say that. If you don't know that you're on the same page about specific core convictions or things in your life, you're going to find out when you start raising kids. <laughs> you're going to start finding out when you raise the kids. Or if you don't talk about before you're married, like if he came from a different spiritual upbringing than I did, and we both think we love the Lord and stuff, but he believes a certain way, I believe a certain way, and then it's through living together that you find out that, oh, why are you doing that? Like, I don't believe that. Well, what do you mean I don't believe that? And so some of those things unravel too whenever you're married and living together and finding out more about each other. And Yeah, and the truth is we can see things differently. We don't, we're not always going to see things eye to eye, but the core convictions need to line up. The core convictions. I mean, the Bible talks about that. We're not to be unequally yoked. Um, but what's interesting is sometimes, because maybe you found yourself, let's say that maybe you got married before you found Christ, uh, or maybe you're working through some things and you would sit here and you go, okay, well, what if we don't have the same core convictions? Like what if there's, what if there's a certain area that man, we're really off in and we continue to fight about it and we continue to come, you know, there, there continues to be some, some tension in the marriage. One of the things that we've done is we have an older couple in our life. And I would recommend everybody get this, an older couple in your life, someone that's been married longer than you, um, that they love the Lord and they love each other and they're, they're led by the spirit. That's, a, that's an important component there. But when we're off on something like this, and again, it's, it's very rarely anything that's super serious, but anytime we come into a situation where it's like, man, I don't know what to do because we're at an impasse. I feel like I'm right and you feel like you're right. And nine times out of 10, she's right. But I still feel like I'm right. And so what we'll do is we'll call the couple and say, hey, you know, we need to, we need to sit down and talk. And one of the agreements that we made early on was that if we're at a disagreement on this, we trust that God has put this couple in our life. We're going to submit it to them. Maybe they get the answer right then and there, but maybe they have to take some time. But we've agreed to each other, whatever direction they tell us we need to go, that's what direction we're moving. Because sometimes it's important to just bring somebody into the equation that's got more wisdom, that's had more experience, and that also can sit back, removed from the emotion of the situation, and go, actually, Josh, you're wrong in this area. Or actually, Kristen, you're really wrong in this area. Uh, <laughs> so that's something that's really, really important. And I think in regards to that, because that can be one of those things that can get really kind of messy and hairy if we're not careful on that. Uh, number four is sex. You want to you wanna, you wanna hit this one? Sure, why not? Um, we all have it. It's okay. Um, well, we should be having it. If you're not having it, you need to have it. But are your expectations... So some of the questions we put down are, are my expectations being met? Are my expectations being communicated? And am I serving my spouse in this area? Um, I think sex sometimes is a hard topic for people because one, you're either not having it or a spouse wants it way more than the other spouse does. Or maybe you guys are perfect and it's great all the time and you never have any hiccups or anything. But typically... And if that's you, don't talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> typically <laughs> that's not the case. Or anybody for that matter. 
Um, but one of the things we had to talk about was what does it look like in, I remember early on we went to some marriage conferences and they would talk about it and it was like, and they were very bold from the stage about talking about it. And it, it was good for us because... Um, oh, I, it was empowering. I think it was like, well, we can only do this. That's all you can do. And then you can say what he said. Yeah, so here's one of the things. This is... This is uh, this is, so what's funny about this is, um, well, the truth is actually this, is that sex sometimes can be difficult to talk about because, like, if, especially if you're raised in church, sometimes it becomes something that you, you just don't talk about. And then so you get married and it's like, boy, this is kind of weird. Like, I know we're having sex, but, you know, what's our, what, you know, somebody asked us one time, like, what's the, vi what, what vision do you have for your sex life? And I'm like, vision for sex life? I'm just grateful that we're having sex. I don't know we have to have vision for it. And, but the truth is you do need to have vision for it. And what I mean by that is you do need to have communication and you need to talk about it. No matter how weird it may feel at the very beginning, like as far as talking about it, like it's, we talk about it all the time and we, we make sure that we're on the same page because the truth is specifically related to sex. If I'm not communicating what my expectations are mm -hmm. and she's not communicating what her expectations are, um, then it can be really, it, it can create a lot of issues. Like, we're just going to use a hypothetical, um, total hypothetical. Uh, let's say that, um, like, it's a Saturday night, and we're out, you've got kids, and you're having a great time. You a know. lot of things change when you have kids. I'll yeah, that's that. absolutely true. But let's just say that, like, everything's good, and you're, like, going, man, it's Saturday, well-rested, hung out by the pool, we took the kids to dinner, and... You know, when we get home, I'm going to put the kids down. I'll run a bath for Kristen. Everything will be good. And tonight is the night that this is going to take place. And in her mind, she's going, man, I just, we haven't seen the kids. So tonight when I get they home, just got back I'm going to put together. popcorn on and we're going to watch a family movie. And then we get home, she's making popcorn. Kids are picking out a movie. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, I told the kids they could pick out a movie. And I'm like, well, I thought that we, wait a minute. We're going to watch a movie? And then I'm sitting over in the corner. And again, this is total hypothetical. And it's, you're like, wait a minute. What's taking place here? So one Nothing. of the things is you got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. And um, here's another rule. And this is what she was talking about. This is kind of where we sat back and laughed that one time. Specifically related to sex, sex is the area of your marriage that is only reserved for you and your spouse. It's the only thing you can provide your spouse and the only thing your spouse can provide you that you can't get from anywhere else or that you shouldn't get from anywhere else, I'll say that. And it's an opportunity for you to be creative. Like I'm just telling you, if it needs creativity, get creative. Here's the three metrics that they told us. Is it sin, okay? So if it's not sin, go for it. <laughs> Number two is this, do you both agree? If you both agree, then it's okay. And then number three, is it physically harmful? When they said that, I laughed. I was like, oh man, that's pretty funny. And then what he said was he said, so if it meets all three of those requirements, then I recommend you do it four or five times. So put the Batman suit on and run around the house if that's what you want to do. <laughs> but this is an area that we encourage you to have, you know, encourage you to have vision in, encourage you to talk about it because it's important for you to be unified in this area. It's, it's such a, it's such a great thing, and it, it draws Unity you close happens. to each other. When you're having sex, you're unified, because that's the closest you're going to be physically, spiritually. Like, it's beyond just pleasuring one another. It's a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And uh, so the, the fifth thing is this, children. 
This is an area that we see, and some of this goes back to uh, number three with core convictions, I believe. Like, how are you raising your children? Are you unified in this? Uh, part of this would be dads, and I just got to, you know, because I, th I think sometimes this is the area where, <clears throat> excuse me, where we struggle the most, and that is, are you doing your part? Like, are you coming home from work and doing your part? There was a season of life where Kristen stayed at home with the kids, and I went out and worked. And when you come home, it's not time for you to just kick your feet up and, like, talk about how rough your day was. Like, are you doing your part in helping raise the kids? Uh, and the truth is that both of us need to raise children, and we need to do that together, and we need to be unified in that. And if you don't have children yet, I don't, does anybody not have kids yet? <gasps> okay. So if you don't have children, oh, yes, and you in the back. If you don't have it, start talking about it. What is it going to look like? Like, you don't have to have everything laid out, but the more you discuss up front, the easier it can be whenever those times do come. Like, are you going to want to work? I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But we have found that if we were to have discussed some of these things or known some of these things earlier on, maybe it would have not created as much tension or confusion. Um, and some things we just may not know, and that's why you have your mentor couple that's a little bit older than you that's walked this above you and before you um, to speak into your life. Yeah, absolutely. And then the sixth area is friends. And I don't want to undervalue this one. I think this one's really, really important. This is the community that we spend our time with. Um, are you unified in this? Like, are you, are you both on the same page in regards to who you're spending times with? Um, I think that, you know, there's a, there's, there tends to be a growing trend uh, with some of my friends and um, outside of the church. And it's like, well, hey, I'm doing my guy's trip. My wife does her girl's trip. And we kind of go our separate ways and we don't necessarily have the same community. Uh, I'm not saying that those things aren't bad. It's great to be able to go out and spend time with your friends. But if you're not doing that with your spouse, if you're not connecting, then I think you really start to call into question like, hey, what's, what's our community really look like? And is our community pulling us back to the Lord? Or is my community of friends always wanting to pull me away so that we can go out and and, you know, bro out and hang out or go have a girl's trip. Again, those things are great. And I think there's time for those things. Um, but not, not above your marriage and not above your kids. And um, I think it's one of those things that we have to be really, really careful and we really, really have to protect. And we have to be unified in that too. And uh, the truth is uh, the church is a great place to develop those relationships. And I hope that most of you guys have experienced that here. Like the community, I know the community that we've had here. We've got some of the people in here, some of our closest and most dear friends. Kind of a side story real quick on this because we have a couple more minutes before. But it was reminded when you said community, when we came to New Song, we didn't know anybody. And we just were like, hey, we heard from it from a guy that was in his class. And we thought we had friends the last church that we were in. And we realized we don't have any community. And we were there for three years and we thought we had community and we didn't. And that could, part of it could have been on us or any, I don't know, but we made a vow to each other. We were like, listen, when we go to New Song, we are going to take out as many couples as we can and we're gonna make friends because we had zero. I know it's probably hard to believe we had friends, but they weren't community, like-minded, growing, spraying one another on, encouraging people in our life. And so we grew a lot from that. And we haven't stopped since then. We still like to hang out with people. Yeah, I remember one of the first, we had David and Kaylee over one night. David's like, dude, you guys hang out with everybody. Like you, <laughs> I was talking, the church had like 40 people at it. And he's like, Have you, you guys know everybody at the church? We're like, yeah, they all come over here for dinner now. So we're here and we're not going anywhere. Um, but that's so important that you make sure that you're unified in those areas. 
And again, here's the thing. I think it's important to keep that stuff in front of you because when we start to, I heard, I've heard Pastor Josh say this, you know, when we, like if this is the direction we're supposed to head, and in any of these areas, if we're just off a little bit and we continue to stay off just a little bit and you start to see that take place, like you're going to blink and in a, you know, in a not too long span of time, you're going to be really, really far off from where you need to be. And these are great things to really focus on. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about or I guess not talk about, but as we close, like, I really want you to think about this. And this is really where it goes for, to, to practicing the way. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where we go from being just a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. And I believe that in moments like this, that there's probably a couple things in there, whether it's at the very beginning or in this moment where you're mm-hmm. sitting here going, man, there's some areas that we need to shape up on. Our challenge and our really encouragement for you guys is to come together and have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And man, really, really spur each other on to, to make sure that you're pursuing God in that area, to make sure that you're pursuing, pursuing unity in that area. Maybe for you, you look at it and you're like going, hey, um, we're good in a lot of these areas, yeah. but we've been pretty down on marriage, like outside of our marriage. We've, we've been pretty, pretty down on it with like people that we know or um, we haven't really supported it as much as we need to. If that's you, I just encourage you to go, hey, we're, we're going to take steps to where we're not going to be down on this anymore. We're going we're gonna to make sure that we're making investments. We're going to make sure that we're doing what we can be with done. younger couples or yeah. people that we know that, that just are ignorant, that don't know the truth. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to reach out and we're going to figure out a way to, to however God leads. We want to encourage you to do that. And, or maybe you find yourself in a situation where, and this is what really helped us, um, and I know I've kind of been a little bit all over the place on this, um, but I wanted to get to this uh, before we leave. One of the things that was so important for us is we were working through some of these things. Uh, it was a season of our life that I hated the job that I was at, hated it, hated it. Like nine to five was miserable. I, I can't overstate that. It was, it was a year and a half of being really, really tough. And so it was hard for me when I came back home. And she was staying at home and she was kind of making the transition from a career Mm -hmm. into being a stay-at-home mom. And it was like, man, how do we get on the right cadence? Because this is not easy. And we got together one night and, man, we talked and 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 talked. And it was good. And um, but we came up with four things that we made a commitment. Hey, we're going to do these four things every single day. Part of the problem with my job was I would pull up in the driveway and be on the phone. Most of the time it was a phone call that wasn't a good phone call because of some of the stuff that was going on. And I found myself coming into the house on the phone, going to the office and finishing up business. Again, it could have been 4.30, it could have been 5.15, it really didn't matter, but that was, the, that was the environment I was bringing into the home. And so she said, hey, I have a request. I don't care if you pull up into the driveway in your truck and you're on the phone. Stay in your truck until you get off the phone. And then when you get off the phone, take a deep breath and then come into the house. And here's the commitment we made to each other. And guys, I'm telling you, this, cha- this changed our marriage, changed our marriage. Because there was a lot of these areas that we were really struggling with. And for us, we were trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like? Um, I love this because we talked about this in the staff meeting yesterday. But what does a win look like for us? That was really the heart of what we were looking for. And how do we define that? And so one of the things that we said is, okay, the first thing that I'm going to do when I come into the house is I'm going to find you, regardless of how many little kids are running up and grabbing on my legs, I'm going to find you, I'm going to tell you I love you, I'm going to give you a hug, I'm going to give you a compliment, you're going to give me a compliment, I'm going to kiss you, 
And that's going to be our first interaction when I get home. It's the first thing. The second thing that we did was I would ask the question, and sometimes she would ask me this question, but most of the time it was me asking her the question, hey, do you need help with anything? Is there anything I can help you with? Always yes. <laughs> Number three, and this is, this is what really helped us because in this season it was hard for me, especially with working late at night and then getting some other stuff done. Waking up early in the morning is not something that I'm real good at. She would ask me this question and I would ask her, but she would say, hey, have you spent time with the Lord today? And that's such an important question to ask your spouse, especially when maybe you're in a transitional season. Because at that moment, if it was no for me or if it was no for her, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to take the kids. And after dinner, I'm going to give you some time so that you can go spend some time with the Lord. Because what we recognize, again, like we talked about at the beginning, if that's not taken care of, then really, like we need to, and in some cases, you need to help your spouse with that. And, and it helps by asking the question. And then the fourth thing we would ask is what's the expectation for tonight? Well, expectation. <laughs> we change it to expectation. But it was important that we asked ourselves that question in that season because with everything else that was going on, we wanted to eliminate every area that we possibly could have for tension. Yeah. And what ended up happening over time is we ended up using those questions. And for you, it may be different questions. Yeah. For you, it may be the same questions. For you, you may already found like, man, you know what? We're asking throughout the day and we're communicating. But if you find yourself where you've got some disunity, if you find yourself where you're sitting here going, we feel off step or we're not in the same cadence on this, I would encourage you to figure out what that looks like and really pursue it and really make a commitment to each other that, hey, we're going to do this because it's so important that we do this because our marriage depends on it. And it's not just our marriage depends on it, but I want you to do it like, like literally your life depends on it and understanding what you're communicating to your children, understanding what you're doing for the kingdom. And I'm telling you, it's amazing what you can do. Man, when we focus on marriage the way that God intended for it to be, when we put practical steps into place, when we really focus and strive for unity, and we focus on pursuing one another, I'm telling you, it's amazing what God can do. It really is. Like you can face, we can, I can face hell on earth because I know I've got her by my side. And that when we're unified in it, we can really, we, we, we can go against anything that comes our way. And I believe the same could be true for you all. And so what we'd like to do is we want to pray over you guys before you guys head out tonight. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.